Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all of you. Coming up on our program today, some members of Congress have sent a letter in support of funding using infrastructure funding for some lock and dam projects. We'll talk about that with Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. And then uh, the second half of the program, a conversation uh, I just recently had with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. We talked about a number of issues, including biofuels, and uh, we talked about dairy programs and a number of issues. So kind of an end-of-the-year conversation with Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. You'll be hearing that in the second half of today's program. But we're going to start things off with Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Hi, Todd. How are you? Good, Mike. Glad to be here. You know, in this upcoming conversation, people are going to hear with Secretary Vilsack. Um, it's interesting, his spin, his his take, and the administration's take on the biofuels events of the last few days. And um, I wanted to get his perspective on this and because we know that the biofuels industry looks upon these announcements as mixed news at best and certainly concerns about like the administration not going to defend e15 sales year round uh of course the secretary's spin on it and his view on it and the administration's view is how supportive they are overall of the the biofuels industry but i think several people in the biofuels industry would question how strong that support is yeah, Mike, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, the proposal we saw last week, um, I think the agency, I think the administration is attempting uh, to try to fix a number of, of issues. Um, and at the same time, I, I think it creates a lot of questions. You know, we're having cuts in corn ethanol volumes. Uh, there's just a lot of things that have been ongoing in this administration. Um, you know, EPA filed a brief uh, here recently talking about, um, you know, they're not going to defend the, the Trump rule on E15 at the Supreme Court. Uh, in fact, they're opposing uh, the industry, you know, getting a review of that case. Um, it does raise a lot of questions. You know, there's just a very narrow window, uh, narrow opportunity uh, for the industry to get E15 year-round sales back. According to EPA, there's, uh, there's a, a section of the Clean Air Act that, that allows changes to, to gasoline rules in a lot of these ozone-heavy areas. Um, but, you know, it's it's really uh, when you look at that, it, it does appear as if EPA is a bit washing its hands of the whole situation. And I think a lot of people are wondering, uh, you know, if the administration is saying publicly that it supports biofuels, I think E15 is probably one of the most significant issues that you would expect uh, the agency and the, and the administration to be standing behind. Yeah. So you'll hear Secretary Vilsack give their side of it uh, a little bit later on. Now, also interesting. Uh, the White House saying that uh, they believe that the reason we have these high meat prices now, they put the blame on the big meat packers, uh, which, you know, a lot of people are critical of the big meat packers. So that's kind of an easy target. But it seems to kind of overlook things like uh, fuel prices and labor shortages and things like that. Yeah. And Mike, not to mention, you know, we're seeing inflation levels that are rather, uh, rather high and rather significant. Uh, you know, it's not just in meat prices. There's a lot of segments of the economy that we're seeing inflationary pressures. Uh, I think uh, on the surface, you know, the idea of blaming the meat companies, I think it uh, I think it kind of goes along with the administration's efforts. Uh, you know, when it, when we're talking about decentralization and, and those sorts of things of, of the meat industry, um, I, I think really, though, you know, when you look at the broader economy, I you know, I'm not an economist, but inflation is really the story of the day. And there's a lot of different segments of the economy that are feeling those effects of that. For sure. And uh, inflation, even though they're trying to tell us it's this is a short term, short, you know, short lived. Uh, I mean, it's pretty real right now. And there doesn't seem to be any signs of it really easing up anytime soon. So that leads us into the Build Back Better plan, which they're trying to get passed. Um, right. Looks like it'll be a real struggle to get it done this year, if at all. But as you said, you and I aren't economists, but a lot of economists say <laughs> adding more government spending 
into inflation is not a good policy. It, it creates more inflationary problems, not less, as the administration says, this uh, spending will actually help things. Yeah, you're right, Mike. I think, um, you know, I think that's why there's so much of a back and forth on on this bill. Uh, right now, the latest we know is that Senator Joe Manchin in West Virginia is uh, kind of t- in a tussle with the president um, about the details of the, of the bill. Uh, he's kind of a lone holdout in the Senate, I guess. And I think, um, you know, it, it makes some sense that there'd be some delay on this. This is a very large spending package. And you're right. When you look at the economy right now, uh, it, you really make, a, you know, it, it's not much of a jump to say that extra spending, I mean, a lot of extra spending could be harmful. And I think um, the idea that the Senate's going slower on this isn't a bad thing. So maybe there's still a chance. Uh, in fact, there's there's talk of uh, a vote going on into next year. Meanwhile, it's going to be interesting to see how the dicamba issue plays out with this EPA. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the agency, um, you know, it's taken a hard look uh, at crop damages from this past year. And I think they're still they're still looking for more data. They want companies and, and everybody to provide that data. Um, but there is some talk that uh, some of the registrations will be changed on some of these herbicides. And I think, you know, this is going to be an ongoing issue. I, I think it's, it's going to be a yearly fight. Um, you know, every every year we see a little bit of some sort of changes coming from EPA and uh we continue to see the damages and so i think this is a this is certainly something to watch as we keep going forward i I don't know how far epa might go on this but they're certainly taking a look yeah i think you're right it's going to we're going to see more and more uh scrutiny of of dicamba as we go along and and here we go get ready uh farm bill hearings starting up in january we're hearing yeah that's that's crazy you know you know all the all the times that we follow the farm bill debates, it's it's a really a long process. And to think that we're at that beginning point again is really quite incredible, you know, and I think all the changes that we've seen in ag in the past couple of two or three years, uh, I, I think we're going to see a lot of things come out of this farm bill that maybe uh, no one had considered before. You know, there's so much out there, so many different things that have affected this industry, none, none the least of which is supply chain problems and, and all that. And so, yeah, here we go again. It's uh, it's really kind of hard to believe we're there again. And get ready. There'll be a bunch of people saying, well, we're going to start early and get done, get this done early. <laughs> and when it's all said and done, we'll be lucky to have it done in time. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. These things go on. I mean, you know, to say that even this year is, is a serious possibility is, is probably a stretch. This farm bill debate is something that, you know, it's always been bipartisan, but it, it does usually take quite a bit of time. And especially when you factor in midterm elections in the middle of this process. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is uh, the big election year coming up. And I think everything that happens in an election year is quite, uh, quite guarded. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the election year affects that. But I'm, I'd be surprised if we had a farm bill next year. Yeah, it'll be a while. Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we talk infrastructure and an appeal by some members of Congress for some uh, specific funding in this infrastructure package. We'll talk with Mike Steenhook for the Soy Transportation Coalition next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com.
backslash field posts. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President, American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, let's start with the things that stand out to you on the positive side from this week's announcement. Well, I think the, the, the good things that we knew about but that got announced at this point were the $700 million in aid to ethanol plants for pandemic relief. We knew that was happening. We just didn't know when it would be announced. And I think we still don't know the details. So it kind of looks like something that they decided to announced so that they could soften the blow of the other stuff that came. We'll see what the what the details are, but that's good. And, and USDA has been very helpful to us. And then they also announced that there would be another $100 million in um, infrastructure grant for stations to put in equipment for higher blends. So that can be useful too. In both cases, I think, again, USDA has always been very helpful to us. And, and you know, in one respect, we knew the one thing was coming, the other one we hoped would. So that that's probably the best news of all. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. I want to get another infrastructure update. We're watching closely since the passage of the infrastructure bill. How will those monies be used? Where will they go? Uh, we've talked earlier about uh, some ag groups getting together and, and putting some money, I think a million dollars um, towards uh, specific projects like lock and dams to try to help with, get that funding moved in that direction. Joining us now is Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. I guess the latest is we have some members of Congress uh, getting into this and asking for some funding for these locks and dams. What can you tell us? Well, the good news is when with the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that was signed into law by the president on November 15th, that that's going to provide a sizable amount of money for a variety of projects, including locks and dams. But there's nowhere is it guaranteed that that funding for locks and dams will go to some of these specific projects that have been lingering for years, particularly on the upper Mississippi River. So the, the good news is, again, we got the funding, but now the, the next step is to make sure it gets allocated to some specific projects. And that's what uh, a bipartisan group of, of senators, 11 total, uh, really concentrated in you know, the, the states like Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Uh, Senator Grassley, Senator Durbin, and Senator Blunt led that effort on the Senate side. And then 41 members of the House of Representatives, again, from mostly that, that part of the, the Midwest. Uh, Congresswoman Bustos from Illinois and Congresswoman Henson from Iowa led the effort on the House side. Very happy to see this bipartisan, bicameral expression of support for these specific projects. Uh, this, the Lock and M25, Lock and M24, both of those on the upper Mississippi River, and then there's LaGrange Lock and Dam on the Illinois River. It's all part of this broader effort to improve the upper Mississippi River and Illinois River systems. Uh, that, again, that's been, like I, I described, on the on-deck circle for years, and we think it needs to go to the batter's box. We think it's time for that to occur. So this is all part of that broader effort. And as you said, good that it has bipartisan support, so we'll watch that. Uh, I've got an interview coming up here with Secretary Vilsack, and I asked him, uh, about USDA's role, what input they would have. And he said uh, he they would have input. They would do some advising and uh, and, and offer input on how some of this uh, money should be spent on, on key infrastructure projects 
that would impact agriculture. I, I think he's got a very credible, very respected voice within the administration. And, and look, you know, the, the, the administration talks about we want to be a country that produces and makes things. We want to be a country that uh, is able to outcompete the rest of the world in terms of our agricultural output. But that, in order to do that, you, you can't just grow the crops. Um, and you can't just have demand for the crops. You have to have a transportation system that can connect supply with demand. So that's all a part of that. It's great to have that aspiration to outcompete the rest of the world. But if you really want to achieve that, it's going to require you to make some specific investments. And these uh, investments on the inland waterway system, particularly on the upper Mississippi River, are really key. Yeah, a lot of needs out there, so we'll see how how they are prioritized. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, we've talked a lot about the uh, the West Coast port situation, the backups, and now we have this issue where even, I mean, it's bad enough. It takes forever to get these ships unloaded, but now they're getting unloaded and they go back empty instead of taking what we're exporting with them to these other countries. Uh, there's been some movement and action in Congress to try to address that. Yeah, the, the, you know, it is a, it's an issue for agricultural exporters. It, it is definitely a challenge, and, and for whether it's getting the containers in the first place or the lack of predictability in getting those containers, um, it's causing a problem throughout the system, whether you're a small exporter or, or a larger exporter. So there, are, there clearly needs to be some additional energy being devoted to this. You know, the real challenge that, that members of Congress are really wrestling with and, 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 and exporters are really wanting to insist upon is any kind of solution that's, that's, that's offered, let, we hope it doesn't make the problem worse in certain cases. So that's something that everyone's really trying to wrestle with. It's, you know, you always have to use the, the balloon analogy with government regulations. You know, when you, you squeeze the balloon in one area, it might alleviate pressure there, but then all of a sudden you see pressure augmented somewhere else. And government relations regulations can kind of be that way sometimes where you, you achieve some benefit here, but then the problem gets worse over there. So that's the real you know, focus of, of this overall discussion. But again, clearly there is, there is a problem with these exporters. They're really feeling the pinch and um, it obviously merits attention. As we look at the uh, overall transportation situation, um, how did how did we come through this fall's harvest, Mike? As far as being able to get things moved, and were there bottlenecks, uh, problem areas other than on the west coast? Yeah, I mean the the good news is that you know for soybeans and grain, um, the west coast uh, for LA and Long Beach. That's mainly containerized shipping, which is very important for those exporters who use containers, but that's only about 5 to 6% of our exports for soybeans leave via that method. You know, we're overall, we export in bulk fashion, so hopper cars, rail hopper cars and barges and large, you know, bulk ocean vessels. And, you know, overall, uh, the, the system has worked pretty well. That's a, we have a supply chain in agriculture that doesn't co-mingle as much with you know, consumer goods that come into the United States and then the containers go back to the to the Asian countries. So it's more dedicated uh, to you know, bulk industries like agriculture. So there was less of that pressure from the container uh, front. But, you know, again, if you're if you're exporting via containers, it's a big deal and it's a big challenge. But the overall bulk uh, channel, you know, overall operated pretty well. Bigger concern now is getting the inputs and things we need coming back to us for this spring's planting season. Yeah, and that's a multifaceted issue. You know, logistics plays certainly a role in that, but there's trade policies, there, there's energy, you know, costs like natural gas that are elevated, and that's making it less and less acceptable or more costly. So, you know, this is something where, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's some good news with the amount that we're exporting with commodity prices, but you know, it also comes with some challenges as well. And we're clearly seeing that. So you're still optimistic. We're going to see some uh, significant uh, infrastructure improvement projects get going in 2022. I, I'm as optimistic as I've been, but, you know, we always need to understand that, uh, you know, the federal government can wrestle uh, defeat from the clutches of victory. And we've seen that many times. And uh, so we're, we're very optimistic. It's a real opportune time for us to get some funding for some of these lingering projects. 
Um, but what we need to do is run through the tape. We don't need to stop in front of the finish line. We need to really continue to press forward and making sure that we're doing everything we can to make sure that there's meaningful investment in these important infrastructure projects for farmers. Yeah, now's not the time to let up. This is as close as we've been in a long, long time. As you said, got to finish the race. Yeah, and I, I don't know too many effective constituent groups that, you know, when, when, they, when they're optimistic, they take their foot off the pedal. It's time to keep their foot on the pedal and, and really making sure that we're getting this done. So we'll keep a close watch on that. And uh, as, as I've said many times, it's one thing to pass something and it's another thing to actually appropriate the monies, right? So we got to get that done and get them out there and get these projects underway. Yeah, you know, in, in agriculture, you know, we have some scar tissue on this. You know, we've had occasions where there's been great intentions, but it hasn't resulted in great outcomes. And so we're, we're, we are aware of this. So uh, I think agriculture is really engaged, and we're going to really continue to proceed moving forward to making sure this gets done. That's a good way of putting it. Agriculture has a lot of scar tissue from uh, past experiences, thinking we were going to get there, getting so close, and then really not seeing uh, it come through the way we thought it would. So that's why, uh, I mean, this is, it's so close now, but uh, until, it, until it actually happens, you can't, you can't, uh, uh, let up at all. Mike, I just want to thank you because this will probably be the last time we'll talk before my retirement next week. And just want to thank you. Uh, I've enjoyed having you on over the years and talking about infrastructure and the transportation system. You you do such a great job of uh, working on farmers' behalf and, and working to get these things done in so many different areas. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mike, and it's always good to visit with you. And thanks for the, the, the effective ambassador you've been for agriculture for many, many years. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So that's a big thing to watch, getting these infrastructure funds out and getting um, projects going, uh, locks and dams and many others. We're going to talk about that and several things coming up with uh, Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. I, I talked with him just this week, kind of a long end of the year uh, look at some key issues, infrastructure being one of them, biofuels certainly being another one. I talked about this earlier. His view, the administration's view on uh, biofuels, kind of a different take than many in the biofuels industry has right now. So we'll get into all that and much, much more. Coming up, Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, joining us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. Another strong storm in the western United States is set to follow a bit different path than a strong system that hit late last week. This one moves into the plains and upper Midwest today and will have some significant impacts across the country. We are starting to see a shift in market focus from what is happening in the United States to what is going on with South American crops. Weather reports out of South America remain mixed, mainly the long-range outlooks. Current conditions in South America are quite favorable 
terrible, especially in northern and central Brazil. Southern Brazil is drier, but even there, field scouts are claiming the crops have enough moisture to start developing. The futures are a bit mixed on the Board of Trade this morning. March corn trading five cents higher at 595. The May contract up four and a fraction at 596 and a half cent. For soybeans, the January contract up four and three quarters at 1264 and a fraction. The March contract up two and three quarters at 1267 and a fraction of a cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat March down 17 and a fraction at 769 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat March down 15 at 796 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat March down seven and three quarters at 1013 and a fraction. The May contract down six and a half cent at 10.03 and a half cent. In cash cattle country, a few bids have been renewed in Kansas this morning, but the rest of cattle country is slow to start. Asking prices are around $140 plus in the south and $220 plus in the north. Packer inquiry should improve as the day progresses. Beef cutouts are expected to be lower with light to moderate box movement. For livestock, the February live cattle contract down $1.02 at $137.27. The April contract down $82 at $141.17. Feeder cattle March down $77 at $165.62. For lean hogs, the February contract down $40 at $79.67. The April contract down a dime at $85 even. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to AOA. We are very happy to welcome back Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. A lot of things going on here at the end of the year. I want to kind of get an update on. And Mr. Secretary, thank you for joining us. And we'll start off with the recent biofuels news and the RVO announcements. And, and the biofuels industry is saying these are mixed results. Uh, they have concerns about going back and changing past years and uh, saying that uh, the RFS is has built-in mechanisms to deal with that, and, and it's basically kind of giving refiners a, a break. If, uh, uh, yeah, on one hand, you, you deny some uh, requests for waivers, but if you lower the blending requirements, that's kind of a wash. You have defended the announcement by EPA. Why? Well, uh, several reasons, Mike. First of all, let's talk about the number of waivers that were denied. And this wasn't just a handful of waivers that were denied. This was over 60 waivers that were denied. And the reality is uh, this is an administration that wants a true and accurate renewable fuel standard. One that reflects uh, when they say a certain volume level, they don't undercut it by granting waivers uh, extensively. So I think it sent a strong message that the waiver process of the Trump administration was not gonna be followed. Secondly, look, uh, 2020 was a pretty interesting year from a, from a pandemic perspective and a, tra a transportation perspective. I mean, there's no doubt that we, we traveled a heck of a lot less in 2020 and in 2021 as a result of the pandemic. And so this is a number, uh, taking a look at the numbers that for those two years is a reflection of what happened out there in the countryside um, because of the pandemic. Uh, and certainly understandable, we had to make adjustments in a lot of different places because of pandemic related circumstances. But the good news is that this is an administration that believes in this industry and has set a strong number for 2022, in fact, an historically large number for 2022, and suggests a significant growth trajectory 
uh, for this administration. And if that were all that, w- that was announced, that would be one thing. But there was also $700 billion that was announced by USDA that's going to be made available to biofuel com- uh, companies to assist them through this pandemic-related uh, challenge. There was $100 billion that we announced uh, to invest in infrastructure to expand access to higher blends. Uh, there was uh, and is the Build Back Better program that's currently being considered by the Senate that has another $970 million of assistance and help for the industry and infrastructure. And there's a tax credit uh, connected to the aviation biofuel uh, effort that it, that is underway that we believe over the course of uh, a number of years could be multiple billions of gallons of additional new biofuel uh, supported by this administration. So when you look at the totality of it, it's a pretty significant statement of, of support for the industry. Can, can you give us any details on that, uh, the COVID relief money that's going out that you just mentioned, uh, how that will be distributed and how it's to be used? Well, it's, it's basically going to go to the, to the entities that produce biofuel. Um, and we'll figure out a formula for uh, how those payments are calculated. And uh, those, those payments will go out uh, to, those, uh, to those biofuel uh, producers, uh, which in turn obviously will allow them and assist them in continuing to maintain operations and continue to meet the increased levels of 2022, uh, continue to keep people employed and continue to provide uh, market opportunities for uh, corn growers uh, and, soy, and, and soy, soybean growers. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a positive opportunity here. And frankly, uh, Mike, I should point out that this was not directed by Congress. It wasn't like uh, Congress said, uh, Mr. Secretary, here's $700 million, go use it for the biofuel industry. Previous uh, pandemic assistance packages did not include any help for the biofuel industry. So this was something that I did, we did, the Biden administration did on its own initiative because of the importance of this industry. Uh, So this resource is gonna be, I think, a shot in the arm uh, for folks um, and make sure that we can continue to keep all those biofuel companies and uh, production facilities operate. What about the decision the administration's, administration's made not to defend the uh, year-round E15 rule? Well, if, if there is a public hearing that's going to take place as a, uh, as a consequence of that in order to establish how best to establish a, a rule that will, 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 will pass muster here. So it's a, a situation where uh, we're taking a step back, but but I think ultimately allowing us to take a more positive step forward. It doesn't do much good to do something and have it struck down by the courts. We want to make sure it's as strong as possible. Talking with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, let's look at uh, uh, your goal of helping small processing plants. What's the latest there as far as getting that up and going? Well, I uh, made a significant inv- uh, announcement last week in Ohio. The establishment of our loan guarantee program uh, $100 million, uh, which we believe will probably result in nearly a billion dollars of credit being made available uh, to middle uh, to the sort of the middle of the supply chain. It could be to, uh, to expand processing capacity. It could also be meeting the needs of processors for cold storage, for warehousing, and things of that nature. Uh, the way this works, Mike, uh, commercial lenders, bankers, may be a little reluctant to provide money to expand access to processing capacity. I was in Ohio in a small uh, stockyard, uh, they were interested in building a new facility next to the stockyard. They don't have a lot of experience in this, so the commercial banker may be a little bit leery about providing the resources, the several million dollar resource to be able to build a facility, small processing facility. Well, we come in and we say to the banker, look, we'll, we'll guarantee 90% of that loan. So your risk isn't 100%, it's only 10%. It makes it much easier for that banker to make the decision to give that family the ability to produce that small processing facility that opens up new opportunities for producers in a, a multiple state area. Uh, so this is this is the first, well, this is one of many steps actually, but the first step in addressing specifically the issue of expanded and new processing capacity. Uh, we will be coming out after the first of the year with a larger commitment uh, that I announced in July, sort of the terms and conditions of how that can be accessed uh, so that we'll be putting another $800 million uh, towards this effort, which we think will leverage significant investment as well. So uh, a lot of opportunity, a lot of activity you're going to see in 2022 on this, uh, on expanding uh, processing capacity. On infrastructure improvements, how do you see your role at USDA as part of this? Uh, when, in terms of infrastructure, you mean like broadband and, and 
roads and that kind of thing? Or yes, what, what, right. Yeah. Well, uh, working with Secretary Buttigieg, uh, for example, making sure that he is fully aware of the need for uh, investments in Royers. I think he's very sensitive to this. I think you're going to see a lot of roads, bridges, um, uh, inland waterways, uh, uh, rail systems, and ports being improved with this resource over the course of the next several years. And what this is going to enable American agriculture to benefit from is the, is the ability to be able to get to market more quickly and more efficiently, which means I think we will be uh, able to maintain our advantage in exports. We had a record year in exports this year. We, we expect another record year next year. But to maintain that, we have to be able to maintain that competitive advantage that we've had from a pricing perspective. And that has always been our transportation system. We compete against entities that don't have quite the sophisticated uh, rail and road systems that we have in the U.S. And to the extent that we allow those folks to catch up, that would be a problem. Well, we're not going to allow them to catch up with this investment is going to allow us to sort of leapfrog uh, our, our competitors and make sure that they never catch up with us on, uh, in terms of the uh, uh, efficiencies. So that's one thing. The second thing is the broadband expansion. Uh, that's really big because it's going to give us the ability to, to allow farmers to fully advantage uh, precision agriculture, which is so much dependent on broadband access, as well as having uh, real-time information about markets. Uh, so that's going to be an advantage as well for American agriculture. And we're looking forward to putting our resources at USDA to work uh, to get broadband expanded as quickly as possible. On the uh, the export side of things, we, we're hearing more and more about our ag products not getting shipped out because these ships are, are unloading then going back to whatever country of origin without uh, loading up and taking our products with them. How is that being addressed? We're in the process of trying to figure out ways in which we can uh, potentially uh, utilize additional port uh, uh, activities or, or port uh, access uh, in Oakland, which is predominantly one that services California agriculture and West Coast agriculture, for example. Uh, and then figuring out ways in which we could potentially use a portion of the $500 million we set aside from our CCC fund to be able to potentially provide some kind of, of, of incentive or some kind of payment to the terminals, to the to to the, uh, uh, the the port itself, that in turn could be used to encourage uh, empty containers to be filled with ag product. Uh, so we're looking at a series of creative ways to try to address this this maddening situation where uh, containers are are leaving without uh, adequate uh, uh, ag products or, for that matter, any products. We're also making sure that the Maritime Commission and others who regulate these activities are aware of this and are looking at ways in which they could potentially uh, provide um, a bit of incentive, if you will, uh, for those uh, containers to be filled before they leave our shores. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, as I talked with him earlier this week, again, on the biofuels issue, obviously uh, the administration is is positioning themselves as a strong supporter of biofuels, but many in the biofuels industry certainly questioning that support uh, when looking at uh, the reducing uh, past year's volume requirements and also the lack of defense of the E15 year-round sales rule. So um, obviously a difference of opinion on that, but that's the way Secretary Vilsack and the administration looks at it. We'll get the biofuels industry reaction to that uh, probably next week. Coming up, more of my conversation with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, including uh, the sign-up period underway now for the Dairy Margin Coverage Program and more ag issues. So stay with us as we continue our conversation with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Each month we get the uh, latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Here once again, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer to break it down. Michael, thanks for joining us. Looks like the numbers are lower again this month. Yes, they are. The, the index dropped from 121 in October to 116 in November, and that's the lowest Ag Economy Barometer index since June of 2020. And so we've dropped quite a ways from the highs we saw this spring. In April, we were at close to 180 in terms of this index. And so and so some large drops again this month, both the index of future expectations and the index of current conditions dropped. So both of those sub-indices dropped. The index of future expectations is still higher than the index of current conditions, meaning that producers realize that 2021 is a pretty good year. There's a lot of concerns uh, related to where we're going in 2022. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. When it comes to a healthy bottom line for your farming operation, nothing helps like healthy soil. Producers who use soil health management systems report lower input costs while maintaining or even improving their yields. Plus, those systems help with drought protection and soil and water conservation. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out more and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by the NRCS and this radio station. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
And welcome back. We continue our conversation with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. Sign up is underway now for the Dairy Margin Coverage Program. And Secretary Vilsack hopes that dairy producers will take a strong look at this program. It is. It's opened up uh, last week and, and uh, or up, up, actually opened up today uh, and it goes until February 18th. Uh, we're also supplementing that uh, dairy margin coverage program. Uh, producers are going to receive uh, retroactive payments uh, uh, for uh, adjustments that we're making with, uh, with the margin, protection, margin coverage program. We're also taking a look at recalculating feed costs uh, to more uh, be more reflective, if you will, of actual costs in the market. Uh, you know, some of these producers had to purchase high-quality alfalfa uh, during a, a period of time. Uh, so we're trying to figure out ways in which we can provide additional support and help. I would expect and anticipate uh, the initial uh, efforts in this space will result in another $132 million going out relatively soon. Um, this, you know, this complements the other steps that we've taken. Um, we're amending the Dairy Indemnity Payment Program uh, to be able to identify, uh, you know, we've had this circumstance where cows have been impacted and affected by PFAS, and that's impacted and affected the quality and, and marketability of milk. They've had to dump some of that milk. Um, we think rather than compensating for the dumped milk, it makes more sense to compensate for the cow that's been impacted and affected. So the dairy indemnity program is now uh, uh, going to uh, take a look at ways in which we can provide assistance in that space. Um, and NRCS is going to work collaboratively with those producers to be able to use equip resources to uh, to take a look at disposal costs that may be associated with uh, with these cows so uh take a look at that um and we're obviously still working with uh, the haulers and distributors of milk uh, to um, institute the pandemic market volatility assistance program that's the program mike that attempted to try to understand that there was a difference between class three and class one milk uh, during the course of the food box program, there was a lot of cheese purchased, and that kind of um, caused a little bit of a, of a wrinkle, if you will, with the with the uh, uh, class three and class one milk pricing. So we're trying to make sure that people were not hurt by that, um, and so we're in the process of trying to figure out how to distribute resources through handlers and and uh, uh, distributors. And on a final note, a, a personal note, I, I've covered every ag secretary since Bob Berglund in the Carter administration, but I've only covered one secretary twice. <laughs> you have come <laughs> back to USDA uh, for this second go around after eight years there before. Um, what difference have you seen uh, changes being at USDA this time than, than in your previous uh, time at USDA? Well, first of all, Mike, let me just simply say, and I, uh, that I wish you the best in, the, in your retirement, which is coming up. Um, I'm really sorry to see you go. And I'm sure there are producers and folks who relied on your expert uh, uh, reporting uh, who will miss uh, the professionalism uh, and the passion with which you uh, conducted uh, the interviews and the outreach and the desire to get information to people out in the countryside. Um, you're one of the best, and uh, I think the industry is going to miss you. Uh, but you've uh, you've had a long, distinguished career, and certainly deserve the uh, the retirement and whatever the next chapter of life is uh, is going to be for you. So I wish you the best. Um, uh, and I, I jokingly said before this interview started, but the more I think about it, the, the more I, I, I might, might be serious that I might not have taken this job back if I'd known you were going to you were going to I was going to outlive you in this uh, in this process. Um, so, uh, you know, here's the great thing about USDA. And one, one thing never changes, which is the mission of USDA and the commitment that people who work at USDA to that mission, uh, regardless of administrations, you, are, you have the career people that care so deeply about uh, the farmers, the ranchers, the producers, the people who live in rural communities. I think what's different uh, is the enormous opportunity that we now have as a result of the American Rescue Plan, as a result of the Infrastructure uh, Investment and Jobs Act uh, that provides a, an opportunity of a lifetime to really address some of the critical infrastructure needs of this country, which will allow us to be more competitive. And I think the Build Back Better bill, um, which contains uh, an historic investment in conservation uh, that can that can really make a difference uh, on the farm in terms of productivity. And the willingness of farmers to uh, work with us uh, on, on issues involving climate smart agriculture 
I think presents uh, a real chance for us uh, to create more more revenue, more income, more opportunities for income, uh, more uh, better chances for small and mid-sized producers and family farming operations to be able to do what everyone wants to, to do, which is to pass on to the next generation uh, so that they can continue to do what they love to do. Um, and I think there's a there's a real opportunity here. Um, and, and that's what excites me about this second go around. Um, there were many opportunities in the first time I was secretary that, uh, that I think were important, and, and, but this is a really an historic opportunity. Um, and I'm just obviously pleased to be and proud to be and honored to be the only person that's ever been asked to come back to this job. Um, uh, and so uh, we're going to have to do it without you, which is going to be a, a major issue, but uh, hopefully whoever replaces you brings the same professionalism and passion that you brought to this job. Well, thank you very much. And I, I appreciate your willingness to discuss issues with me. I've, I've followed all, you all over the country, both the Secretary of Agriculture when you were at the Dairy Export Council. And we've had a chance to discuss issues in, in good times and in challenging times. And you've always been willing to, to go through it with me. And uh, I really appreciate that. And for, for your passion for agriculture and the dedication you bring to the job, thank you very much. Really have enjoyed working with you over the years. Well, likewise, Mike, let me wish all of your listeners a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday season. And hopefully, uh, you know, uh, 2022 is a, a good year for American agriculture and a good year for the country. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, conversation I had with him just uh, earlier this week. Now, coming up on tomorrow's program, we're going to talk about some of these ag issues with uh, Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. He certainly has uh, a different perspective on some of these things, such as biofuels, and we'll get his thoughts on those issues uh, coming up on tomorrow's program. And we hope you'll join us. Thanks for being with us today. Again, happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everyone. Looking forward to being with you again tomorrow, right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Want to reduce your risk of developing cancer? A healthy diet can help. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. It's been proven that a healthy lifestyle and early detection can prevent nearly half of all cancer deaths. So eat right. Choose a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables every meal. Look for foods low in calories, fat, and sodium. And maintain a healthy weight. A registered dietitian nutritionist can help. Find one at eatright.org. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whatever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to oli.org.